If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I just want to take a second to just recognize the fact that we have a number of individuals that tune in with us each week through our online ministry, whether it's right now live or it's when the message uh, comes out later in the week. And uh, we just want to thank those who have been watching and tuning in with us for tuning in. And um, there is also something about being in the building with this group of people that's really special, right? And so we want to just extend that invitation to those who are watching online to feel free to join us here in worship. Uh, We'd love to have you. So 1 Kings chapter 3. Last week, we wrapped up David's story, and um, we saw the installation of his son, King Solomon. And today we're going to be looking at King Solomon's life, and there's much to glean here. Now, what are some things that you know of in regards to Solomon, things that he is famous for? Any, anybody just shout it out. Anything you know Solomon is famous for? Wisdom. Anything else? The temple. Wealth. Too many wives. Anything else? Okay, variety of things. But one of the very first things that you guys mentioned was wisdom. And the message today is entitled, Wisdom Applied. Okay, this is a man who was very wealthy. He also had tons of wives. Okay, and so to me, God can give you all the wisdom in the world, but you need to apply that wisdom to succeed. And there were times where Solomon did apply that, and there were times where he didn't. And we'll be looking at that uh, today. Before we read from 1 Kings 3, starting in verse 1, I just want to pray, ask the Lord to bless this time together. So would you please pray with me before we begin. Father, I thank you for this time. As we gather around your word, I pray that you would speak powerfully into our hearts and lives. We thank you for your wisdom that you do give, not just to Solomon, but it's available for all of us today. And so, Lord, help us to draw from your wisdom and apply these things into our life. We thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Kings 3, starting here in verse 1. The Bible says that Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he married one of his daughters, And he brought her to live in the city of David, or Jerusalem, until he could finish building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. At that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their burnt offerings at local places of worship, for a temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. Now Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices, and burnt incense at the local places of worship. The most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there and he sacrificed 1,000 burnt offerings. Well, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Well, Solomon replied, You showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit 
on his throne. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation that's so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and you have not asked for a long life or, or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for, and I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon woke up and realized it had been a dream. And he returned to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, where he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. Then he invited all his officials to a great banquet. And that's where we're going to stop for the moment. But you see this amazing moment here where God asks Solomon, ask me what you want and I will give it to you. Now, I don't know about you, but can you imagine the Lord asking you that question? Saying, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. What do you think you'd say? I mean, think about what you're going through right now. Maybe your circumstances, the things that surround that. If God said, if there's anything that you would want, what would you say? Would wisdom be one of the very first things? You know, and you got to understand the circumstance that Solomon was in. I think he felt, to a certain degree, he said, like a child. And I have this huge responsibility. And sometimes there's things in life that are just on our plate, and we need wisdom to navigate those things. Is there anybody that can relate to that truth? Okay, we need wisdom. We need wisdom to navigate the cares and the concerns of life, And so God grants him this. I will give you wisdom. And you will be able to know the difference between right and wrong. But ultimately, Solomon still has a decision to make. He needs to choose what's right and wrong. He's going to have incredible discernment, but he's going to have to apply these things. Well, one of the very next things in 1 Kings 3, actually verses 16 through 28, there's a ruling that takes place. And two prostitutes... Come before Solomon. They are living in the same house, and one of them gives birth, and three days later the other one gives birth. Okay, and it was just these two women in the home. And one of the babies dies, and they bring this other child with them to Solomon, and they're both claiming to be the mother. The one who lost her child wants this child, she wants to be a mom. Well, Solomon, as he's discerning through the situation, he rules a 50-50 split. And not by the time that they'll spend. By like, let's just go ahead and let's cut this child in half, and you can have half, and you can have half. And we'll settle the matter. 
Well, the real mom begs Solomon not to take this child's life. And that's what Solomon was looking for. I want to see the real heart. I want to see the heart of the real mom. He gives that ruling. She says, no, 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 don't take the child's life. And Solomon goes, that lady is the real mom and awards her full custody. And you see this amazing moment in verse 28. It says, when all Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king. For they saw the wisdom that God had given him for rendering justice. It wasn't too long ago I saw something on uh, Facebook. If you've ever heard of Judge Judy? It's not my mother. <laughs> Judge Judy, perhaps you've seen the show. But there were two people there and they were fighting over who owned a dog. Somewhat of a similar situation. Now it's not a human, but it is life. And they're going back and forth. Who really owns this dog? And she decided, we're just going to bring the dog in and see who this dog warms up to. And immediately the dog ran to the one and was trying to jump up and lick the man's hand. And clearly that is the one that this dog had the relationship with. And as soon as that took place, she just pounds the gavel and says, settled, take your dog home, we're done. And immediately it made me think of this situation here with Solomon. Perhaps she applied some of his wisdom. She wasn't like, let's cut the dog in two and see who the real owner is. But I think she used some of that wisdom to apply into that situation. Well, as we carry on, I want to summarize the next few chapters because we're trying to walk through Solomon's life here. But in chapters 4 through 9, you get a picture of what Solomon's reign is like. He has incredible success. His wisdom takes him places. There's favor. There's fame. There's all kinds of achievements that take place. And he begins to build this temple where the people can worship God. And not only does he build this temple, but he also builds this amazing palace in which he'll live. And while all this is taking place, there's a certain point in the process of the temple that when it's done, there's a dedication and a celebration to the fact that we now have a place to worship the Lord. We have a building. We have a temple. And Solomon gives a prayer of dedication. And I was walking through this and I thought, this is just interesting. As far as like you can look around at the world around us and you think, does any of this have application for us today? As he's praying for the dedication of the temple, he talks about if disaster comes upon us, Lord, may we pray to you and may you hear us from heaven. And may you forgive our sin, and may you heal us. Several different situations he lays that out. Now, there's actually a corresponding passage with this. And in 2 Chronicles 7, perhaps you've heard this very famous verse, when God responds to Solomon's request, you've heard this before, God says, at times I might shut up the heavens 
so that no rain falls. Or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and I'll restore their land. Then it says, My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer that is made in this place. This is what's going on in the dedication of the temple. This moment where Solomon pleads on behalf of the people of Israel and God responds, If you humble yourself, if you seek me, I'll forgive your sins. And there might be things that happen. Disaster might strike. But if you come back to me, I'll take care of the issue. Now, I'm not just trying to throw us right into Israel and what God was saying there, but to me there is some application here. God's heartbeat for people seeking Him with humility and not thinking that they know better than God. This is a fair question. For me as a pastor, I'm thinking our area needs rain. Am I the only one who thinks that? No, we're like in the severe drought range. I want to encourage us as a congregation to be diligent in prayer for that. We need rain. And in this situation with Israel, God says there might be times where I hold back rain, but if you'd humble yourself and you seek me in this, we need to understand where our blessings come from. Who makes it rain? God makes it rain. And so we ask Him for these things. We seek Him in prayer. And so I'm just going to pause this message and pray for that. Let's do that right now. Father, please search our hearts. And if there's situations in our lives that, that are wrong, help us to confess these things to you. We as a people, we have a tendency to go our own way and make our own decisions, but right now we're seeking you. You're the one who makes the rain fall. And our area needs it, especially as farmers prepare for this spring season. So we pray that the land in this region would get the exact amount of water it needs. But in the midst of this request, Lord, we ask for forgiveness of where we've put ourselves ahead of you. Help us to recognize where our provision comes from. It's not in our own strength, it's in yours. So we commit this to you, Lord, entrusting the land into your care. Amen. So even while Solomon is having this moment in the dedication, right, he's the one basically speaking on behalf of Israel, and God is speaking back to him. Even as Solomon encounters the Lord in this way, 
he himself is susceptible to sin. He's susceptible to wandering. He's susceptible to disobedience. He's a human being. He's been gifted with all of this wisdom and the ability to choose between right and wrong, but yet he still has the capacity to choose wrong. And we see that unfold in 1 Kings 10 through 11. I want to highlight some of these things. I titled this section, Gold and Horses and Wives, Oh My. Gold and Horses and Wives, Oh My. And there's a reason why it's an Oh My. And we'll get to that here in a moment. But this famous queen, Queen Sheba, rolls in. She it just admires Solomon and his wisdom and his fame and his success. And she brings with him these gifts of gold. And in this section, it also says that each year, Solomon would receive 25 tons of gold. 25 tons every year. Just put it in the piggy bank, right? 25 tons. That's not just a little bit of gold. 25 tons. Let that sink in because we're going to get to the warning here in a moment. That's a lot of gold. He had a huge force of chariots and horses. The Bible says thousands. Thousands. Let that sink in. And this one just really take you back. The man didn't have one wife or two or three. He had 700 wives. Plus 300 concubines, which is essentially women set aside that he would sleep with. A thousand women. Not one. One thousand. Tons of gold, thousands of horses, and a thousand women in his life. Let's look at Deuteronomy 17. Verses 16 through 17. This is God's warning to Israel that when they would become a nation and they would get a king, God gives a warning to kings. Be careful. Do not do these three things. The king must not acquire a great number of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. Right In verse 17 it says, He must not take many wives. Is a thousand many? Yeah, I'd say he was basically disobedient. And then it says, And he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Is 25 tons of gold every year, is that a lot? Okay, Clearly, Solomon is not applying this wisdom that God has given him. He knows the difference between right and wrong, but he's making poor choices. Well, one of the issues with having this many wives, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 17, they'll lead your heart astray. This heart that's supposed to pursue God and this relationship with God You'll go in all these different paths. And these women, they come with their false gods. 
And they're going to want to have places where they can worship these false gods. What are you going to do about that, Solomon? Well, in 1 Kings 11, verses 3 through 4, the Bible does say, in fact, that all these ladies, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. And in Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God. Wisdom is not being applied. Solomon is doing what is right in his own eyes, not in the Lord's eyes. And there's a rebuke that comes from the Lord to Solomon in verse 9 through 11. The Lord was very angry with Solomon for his heart had turned away. And he had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, Since you've not kept my covenant and you've disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. The irony that the moment we see this wisdom in Solomon's life, let's tear the child in two, the decision is rendered, the child's given to the mom, and now here he is at this moment where the Lord rebukes him and he says, I'm going to tear your kingdom in two. The consequence for his actions is that the kingdom will be split. There's a rebel by the name of Jeroboam. We'll talk about him next week, but he's going to rise up in power and the ten tribes in the north will be known as Israel, and the lone tribe of Judah will be the southern kingdom. This one kingdom now split into two. Look how far this went. From God imparting wisdom to now God parting the kingdom. Robert Jeffress says that wisdom is the skill to live according to God's plan. Wisdom is available to all of us. Each and every single person that is listening to my voice right now, God's wisdom is available to you. And I'm just going to walk through kind of a step-by-step -step here of the ways in which wisdom is gained. And the very first one is that wisdom is gained by fearing God. By fearing God. Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The starting point of wisdom is fearing God. Respecting Him. Having a healthy fear that God is so much bigger, so much greater, so much more holy than I am, and I would do well to pay attention to what it is that He wants to say into my life. But we live in a culture, and we can do this ourselves, so I don't want to sit here and blame America for all the problems, but we can sort of push God off to the side and say, I can do things better. When we fear God, we want to stay close to Him. And there's a part of that closeness where we want to know, what should I do in this situation? How should I handle this? Not doing things in our own strength. The second way to gain wisdom is by possessing Christ. 
So we fear God. If you truly fear God, He will lead you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says that Christ is the power of God and He's the wisdom of God. The Bible calls Jesus the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 1.30 it says that Jesus Christ has become for us wisdom from God. You want wisdom in your life, possess Jesus Christ. He is the source of wisdom. And when you get saved and Jesus comes into your life, He dwells in you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So that's my next thing. You possess the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians 1.17, the Bible even calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. So you have Jesus and the Spirit present in your life, and God begins to give you wisdom that you've never had before. It's supernatural. Prior to knowing Jesus, I was an idiot. Anybody testify with me on that? And there's still times I don't get it right. I make decisions in my flesh. But I possess Christ. I possess the Holy Spirit. I possess the ability to make good choices because of the presence of what is supernatural in me. It's not Russ that makes good choices. It's the presence and the influence of Christ and the Holy Spirit. We gain wisdom through the presence of God in our life. We also gain wisdom by the Scriptures. The Scriptures speak into our lives. Psalm 119.98 says, God, your commands, they're always with me, and they make me wiser than my enemies. There's wisdom that comes through searching the Scriptures. We get into the Scriptures. God, show me what you want, and He'll speak into your life. The Scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and God speaks into our lives. Wisdom is gained by request. By request. It's not just Solomon that has the opportunity to ask for wisdom. In James chapter 1, the Bible says, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, because guess what? He gives it generously. Generously. This might seem like a really goofy illustration, but if I was serving you food and I gave you a generous portion of something, there would be a lot of it, right? Not just like, you know, a little scoop and you're like, really, is that it? But God gives wisdom generously. The plate is overflowing with wisdom. God gives it to us, and we must receive it by faith. Believing that God does give wisdom, not doubting that He'll just hold it back, in your situation, because you asked wrong or whatever, God gives wisdom. So in faith, say, as I ask for it, I believe as I walk through this situation, God's going to give me the wisdom to navigate this. Wisdom is also gained by experience. Okay, this is a great moment here for the younger generations to acknowledge the seasoned generations. They're full of wisdom. They can speak into people's lives. This is what I went through. This is how I saw it. And I'd be able to help you walk through this, to navigate this. And Solomon ends up writing this book of Ecclesiastes, and I think he gives us a ton of wisdom because he experienced a lot of things. 
This man had the mansion. This man had the women. This man had all the money that you could think of. This man had all of this stuff, the fame, the success. But it left him empty. All of that stuff that life offers, it left him empty. And he writes about that in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, all this stuff, it is meaningless unless I have the one thing in life that truly matters. And that leads us to our memory verse this past week with Ecclesiastes 12. He sums up the book of Ecclesiastes. I've tasted it all, I've had it all, but I want to tell you this. Now, all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. He says, this is all that life hangs on. Fear God and keep His commandments. And this is the duty of all mankind. And until you do that, everything in this world, it might give you a temporary satisfaction, but it won't truly satisfy. He even says it's vanity. It's all vanity. It's almost meaningless. But if you put things in their proper perspective... All of the things he talks about in Ecclesiastes can have a purpose. But he speaks from experience. And lastly, with this message being wisdom applied, wisdom is gained by application. We gain wisdom by applying these things into our life. I know I've done this illustration before. I'm just going to reference it today. But if I had a wall behind me just set up right here that's not painted yet, and I crack open a can of paint, and I just set it there, that wall will not get painted until I dip the brush in and begin to paint the wall. So I can give you all of these things. You guys have this can of paint of fearing God and having the presence of God in your life and the Scriptures. And you can ask God for wisdom and you can gain wisdom through experience. But until you apply these things, will it make a difference? Will you get anywhere? James 1 says, don't merely listen to the Word. You'll deceive yourself. Do what it says. Do what the Word says says. Anyone who listens to the Word but doesn't do what it says, it's like somebody who looks at their face in a mirror, but then they walk away, they forgot what they looked like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, you'll be blessed in what you do. And something that I just thought of here as I read that, Sometimes I've told you that when people look at the Word of God like a window, like as I'm reading, I'm going, look at all the things in Gloria's life that Gloria needs to work on. And I look at it through that lens. I said, what would it look like if we actually approached this as a mirror? And when we get into God's Word, we're saying, what is it in my life that I need to look at? What are things that I need to apply? And so with this mere example that we have in James 1, if we're not in the Word, we will forget. We will forget. God wants to do amazing things in our life, but we must apply His truths into our life. This final point here is the greatest. 
I think this is so important. There is wisdom in the cross. There is wisdom in the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the message of the cross, this message about Jesus, it is foolishness to those who are perishing. There are people around us in our culture, people around us in our world, that when you talk about Jesus, when you talk about the gospel and Jesus died for your sins, it seems foolish to them. They don't want anything to do with that. So instead they choose the wisdom of the world, which God has something to say about that. Because for us who are being saved, the gospel, the cross, it is the power of God. It's not foolishness. God says, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. People think they're wise in their own eyes. God will tear that wisdom down. It says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't know Him, God's pleased through the foolishness of what's preached to save people. So while the world looks at the message of the gospel and thinks, I don't have time for that. There are other people who are encountering the power of a living God who changes lives. And for those who are called, Christ is the power of God and He's the wisdom of God. So here's just two questions before we close in prayer. The first question is this. Is there any area in your life right now where you're needing wisdom? then I encourage you to tap into the things we just walked through. How can you gain wisdom? Fear the Lord. Have His presence in your life. Get in the Word. Seeking Him. Ask Him for wisdom. And even asking other godly people who have gone through experiences. Maybe there's godly counsel that we can seek through those life experiences. But at the end of the day, you must apply these things into your life. God will give you wisdom. My second response is this. It's possible that you're walking through life without the presence of Jesus. That's where wisdom is found. That's what changed my life. I know it changed a number of individuals who are listening right now. The power of God comes in your life and makes you a new person and you have access to supernatural wisdom. That's powerful. If you desire that, if you want God in your life, I encourage you to lean in when we're praying here in a moment, asking Him to come and be your Lord and Savior. As I prepare to close here in prayer, I want to invite the worship team to come back up to prepare to lead us in the song of response. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you give wisdom generously. And one of the most generous acts, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross so that we can be set free from sin. That's generosity. That's giving wisdom generously. 
giving it to the point where you lost your son. But we know that's not the end of the story, for he rose again. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, wisdom is available to all who call in the name of the Lord. And if there's someone listening right now that desires the presence of Jesus in their life, then I invite you to pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, today I surrender. I put my faith and trust in you. I need you. And please forgive me of my sin and help me to walk in wisdom from this day forward. Thank you for this gift of salvation, this gift of life. And Father, for all of us as we respond to this message, if there's any area we need wisdom, help us to apply these truths. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.